This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everybody and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. And we're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group. So if you like memes, shitposting and Australian politics, go find us on Facebook and answer the questions or we won't let you in the group. Uh, my name is Noon and with me as always is my co-host. Hey, what's up? Zachless Snack here. Thanks for joining me, Noon, once again for another week of news yeah politics oh god there's so much news uh but before we get to how much news there was there's also so many cool people supporting our patreon so thank you everyone who does that and in particular thank jordan you. and svetlana who just signed up this week um so you guys could come hang out in our discord you can now get a monthly uh bonus episode each month and we're probably going to be doing two this month and you know get other cool shit so yeah thanks for uh supporting the show it's really lovely yeah thanks so much for signing up uh, you can do so as well over on patreon.com slash Snackpot if you like what we do. Uh, before we dive into the rest of our stories this week, uh, here's some stuff we're not going to be talking about. We love cutting stuff for time on mm-hmm. this show. Big fan of it. We're not going to be talking about Christina Keneally getting angry about not being allowed to see the children in detention that she definitely doesn't think should be there, I guess. Whatever. We're not going to be talking about blackmail mm, in the South Australian Parliament. One. Yeah. Yeah, which is, well... Interestingly, the story on that that I read, like the ABC article, had very little information about mm-hmm. the blackmail and a whole lot about a different connected, <laughs> fucked up story sure. involving the same people in South Australian Parliament. So it's a funny one, but look that up if you're interested. And uh, we're not going to be talking about Lyle Shelton is now in the uh... New South Wales Parliament, which I would say the New South Wales State Parliament is shaping up to be like the single worst parliament. Mm-hmm. In Australia, like they've I mean, now got Mark kind of always and Lyle Shelton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, and it's stiff competition, you know. Mm-hmm. Federal government, you know, they're no angels either. But anyway, um, that's the stuff we're not going to be talking about. Here's something that we will be talking about. Oh, here's a little bit of good news. Um, uh, Domino's Pizza. Mm-hmm. The company have failed in their attempt to stop a class action being brought by their workers. Um, this is a story about Rafu doing cool stuff again, Hell which yeah. um, Noon, you and I occasionally lament how difficult the task is that we've set ourselves of trying to do one good news story a week. Yeah, and, it's uh, extremely difficult. It's it's hard to find a good news story, but I would say Rafu are our friends when it comes to this. They're one of the uh, few reliable sources of good news uh, in Australian politics. So uh, the workers at Domino's are getting paid under a shithouse deal that was arranged by the Shop Workers Distributive and Allied Employers Union, a.k.a. the SDA. If you don't know anything about the SDA, they are a conservative union that serves the interests of bosses, and they're also... Uh, outside of directly uh, affiliated fundraising organizations, the biggest single donor to the Labour Party. Um, 
they're also very anti-abortion and a bunch of other like yeah, yeah like just super conservative stuff super like, conservative yeah. yeah yeah um so this class action argues that in fact the domino's employees should have been getting paid under the fast food industry award um, which would have entitled them to things like casual loading, penalty rates, sure. three-hour minimum shifts, laundry allowances, which is um, sure. not one I'd heard of before, which is cool. Um, yeah, and so the SDA, as we have detailed on this podcast several times before, has a long and very proud history of negotiating deals with employers that are worse than the legally mandated industry minimums. They're, and that's why... They're illegally bad deals. They're illegally bad. Which is amazing and when you consider why... how shitty the labor laws in this country are, that they still manage to be like, well, we'd like to screw our members a little bit harder. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the SDA guarantee. Mm-hmm. That's the SDA seal of approval. We'll fuck them harder even than you do. Uh, and that's why they are what's known as a bosses union. Yeah. Which is the second worst kind of union after a cop union. Uh, another fun fact is that actually neither of those are actually unions. So um, there's a little bit of uh, labor information for you. Anyway, uh, here's a little quote from the judge's ruling. I have no doubt that Domino's understands the case it has to meet. And in my opinion, it's complaints about the ambiguity, embarrassment and delay that is said that is said will arise from the alleged deficiencies in the pleading were exaggerated. Essentially, Domino's are like, oh, you know, it's going to be a hassle for us. And uh, it's going to make us look bad. The judge is like, that is not a good reason. To not go to court. Yeah. <laughs> to not do this <laughs> class action. Um, so it's going to go ahead. We'll keep an eye on that one as it goes cool. forward. Nice work, Rafu, which we didn't actually say, but Rafu is the retail and fast food workers union if you work in somewhere, somewhere like Domino's or McDonald's. And they were set uh, up specifically to be a progressive and pro-worker alternative to alternative. the SDA. Yeah, so um, exactly. they're doing God's work, uh, except join in up the literal if you're covered. Sense. Yes. Yeah. All right. Definitely join up if you're um, uh, in one of those industries covered by Rafu. And uh, yeah, good work, Domino's employees. Get that garlic bread. Mm-hmm. You like that one? That's a little snack. That's a little food-related joke. That's what we do here. Every time I tell people about my show, I'm like, it's called Ozpol Snack Pod. And they're like, so it's called, uh, what? What? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, Ozpol, like Australian politics, and then Snack Pod. We wanted it to be Shit Pod, but it, we couldn't, so we called it Snack Pod. And now we make huh. one food pun each week, uh, which listeners hey, know at least how the system works. The pipeline. That's right. I, I really under undersell the snack references um i mean you should because otherwise you'd be lining people up for extreme disappointment maybe we can Um, do an episode where we just talk about food yeah i was thinking if we weren't doing pop dates a funny thing could be to like talk about what was the tastiest thing we Mm, ate this week that is good i um, like that (laughs) pop dates are good too anyway let's move on now shit post of the week Yes, let's. Something less tasty. Yeah, so we, we've got two here. You know, long-term listeners will know we uh, like to differentiate between shit posts of the week and shit posts of the week. Uh, and this time we have several of each. Uh, we have a literal shit literal post from everyone's favorite uh, high-effort shit poster, Michael Lunig. Um, and this was just a... I, I'm sure most people listening have seen this comic, but it was a comic he did in the age of... COVID safe jogging guy who steps in dog poo and then puts the dog and if poo. And I just want to point out as well that if you know Lunig's style, you know, the, the enemies in his comics are always big and ha- are smiling but with an angry eye. 
you know? Okay. They're like, sure. yes, I love being a dick. Like, that's the, you know. It gotcha. just, it's just really funny to me how um, fucking 101 his shit is. But anyway, so go on. Yeah. I don't want to read the whole thing. Maybe we should. Uh, so, I think you can. Okay, COVID safe jogging guy is jogging along, and there's some poo on the ground, which is helpfully labeled dog poo. And then he steps on it, which says squelch. And here's, so that's the literal shit. And here's the literal post is that there's a traffic light and there's a sign saying traffic light. So that's very hey, helpful. Nice. Yeah. And, that uh, is very helpful. And then the next uh, square says, as advertised by health experts, COVID safe guy activates traffic light with stylish kick of foot on button. And we see him pressing the button with his foot. The, the next cell they called cells it's just yeah yeah sure. i guess there's poo the on the lunig. on the pedestrian the, the beg button as everyone knows that it's called <laughs> uh, except lunig apparently because he's labeled it dog poo on pedestrian traffic light button why would you call it a Which pedestrian is, traffic light button rather than the convenient it's just more elegant you know rolls off name. the tongue yeah pedestrian traffic light button this <laughs> Really a nexus of several interests here. Sorry, keep yeah. going. Uh, and and COVID-safe health hero m- moves on. He he walks away, having deposited this shit on the button with his foot. Now, in the next cell, next guy approaches traffic light, an old-fashioned person, and and now there's the poo on the traffic light, helpfully labeled poo, as, in case we've forgotten since the previous cell that the poo on the light is a poo on the light. Um, and Zach, I hadn't really noticed this before, but you're right. So the, 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 the COVID safe guy is like, has a big butt and is like happy and smiling and looking upwards aggressively. And here we have a classic sad lunig hunchy boy who, um, Mm, comes up and touches the poo and the caption is life goes on. Yeah. He uses the beg button and he gets poo on his hand. Just the amount of self pity. That Lunig can imbue, yeah. like, you know, 12 square inches of paper with is a, in, just truly incredible when you consider that this is just him complaining about the fact that there was a bit of poo on a, on a, on a beg button that he touched. Yes. Like, and he's just clearly been stewing on it all week. Like, it has to blame He's just COVID been sitting safety. at home. I saw yeah, poo on somehow... beg buttons before COVID. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, you just got, Poo handed, man. Like life goes on, my friend. Uh, but yeah, this yeah, prompted a if lot only of posting. He was a big, angry, selfish COVID safe guy. Like it's like like with many of Lunig's quote unquote political cartoons, <laughs> um, the message is deeply, deeply confused. Yeah. Other than we're supposed to understand that being old fashioned is good. And being and COVID safe is bad. Is bad. Yeah, that seems to be the message here. It it occurs to me that this guy might also have caught COVID from touching a beg button. So that wasn't included oh, wow. in He's the really cartoon. Fucked. Yeah. Plus, you know, tapeworms <laughs> or whatever from the poo. But uh, yeah, as, as I said, this, this ca- cartoon, we've spent more time on it than it deserves. But the whole internet did. Uh, there was a lot of posting. There was the Rage Face version, <laughs> which was disturbingly good. Uh, really, Mag, that Mag's was really, really good. Thanks, Mags. Um, yeah. But like, you know, all I of think the that faces. was that edit was maybe done by one of the not good enough crew. Nice. So, uh, if you're listening, and that's those guys. true. What up? Yeah. yeah. Uh, There's a good tweet from uh, Naman Zhao who said uh, it just had the last, oh, the, a tiny bit of one of the frames of the guy standing there and the label that says "poo," 
and uh, it says, this is the kind of biting, mature satire that you can only get from a 40-plus year veteran at the top of his game. Yep, very good. Uh, I feel like I was thinking we need some kind of shorthand with which to refer to Lunig, and I don't know if we can get this information, but like, it wouldn't surprise me if he was, for example, the highest paid cartoonist in Australia. Like, mm. And if that's true, that's going to be an amazing thing to preface... <laughs> Dude, that's some Every investigative journalism that we can do. That's a fucking yeah, stupid totally. waiting to happen. Let's look into that. We'll put a we'll put a pin in that for later. Um, there were many more good posts about that. I, I we don't have time to to do it all. That there, there was a very complicated in group one where moths used <laughs> a, a format that another group member Cassandra had posted. Um, and we had been riffing on this format in the comments and. It, it's a little too complex to go into now, but thank you all for that thread. It was delightful. But that was the shit post of the week. But this week, we also have a shit post of the week. Uh, and this goes to some crunchy OC to uh, Ospol shitposting member Will Connor, who did the Vince McMahon, like, having a great time red eyes meme. You know? Well, it's a, basic, it... it's a, it's a, it's a variation on the galaxy brain it format, is. The... but um, more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so the the top one is uh, all executives are bad and giving them Cartier watches is wrong. And then the uh, the next one where he's looking a little more, you know, galaxy brain. Christine Holgate was treated unfairly. <laughs> Third one, giant galaxy McMahon. Uh, Christine Holgate should be reinstated immediately. And then laser eyes uh, is a tweet from Sky News Australia that says. <laughs> One Nation leader, Pauline Hansen, says Christine Holgate was never released from her contract with Australia Post and therefore is still the CEO of the company. Uh, which is just some incredible, uh, as as a uh, friend, confidant member about in a sanctum, Hugh said, real sovsit hours. Uh, some sovereign citizen nonsense of, um, you know, contract bullshit. I, I'm pretty sure she just resigned and then doesn't work well, there anymore. Holgate but... says she didn't oh, resign. Oh, sorry, sorry, she didn't resign. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Yeah, like, and this is another story that we are not getting into this week. If you don't know about Cartier Watches, the CEO of Australia Post, having beef with the Prime Minister, it's a real um, whoever wins, we lose type situation. Mm. I'm not backing in the Prime Minister or a CEO who gives multiple thousand dollar bonuses during uh, an economic crisis uh -huh. to her top executives. Or Pauline Hansen's not... legal analysis. <laughs> or, yeah, I'm not saying... I mean, yeah, if she turns out to be Pauline right. Hansen-backed CEO. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Which, by the way, like, their connection is that Holgate was personally calling people up and trying to force them to deliver Pauline Hansen One Nation branded beer coolers. To uh, the, that's right, the, the, the tower, the residents people. of those towers that have been locked down during COVID, like, oh, thank God we have beer coolers. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> it's a funny story because it's a lot of ins, a lot of outs, but yeah. also it's just like it's Bunch very, um, yeah, exactly. It's it's just sort of like this, uh, yeah, it, exactly, millionaire fucking pantomime, um, which. You know, we've got other stuff to talk about. Yeah, we do. Uh, and so why don't we move on now? Hey, man, I've got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. So I'm just going to do a, a quick little uh, Corona update, and then we actually have a potluck from a listener about the vaccine. So that's very exciting. Um, but yeah, so the uh, sad news is that we've actually had a death caused by these blood clots associated with the AstraZeneca vaccine here in Australia. 
Um, oh, damn. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it was last night, very late, uh, like 11 p.m. when I was writing these notes. Um, right. So, yeah, um, there are two other cases uh, that haven't been fatal. Um, yeah, there's one. one. So, uh, sorry. So, the, the the woman who died, it was um, a week ago or something, but they finally concluded that it was definitely because of, almost certainly, because of these unusual blood clots as a result of the vaccine. Uh, it was previously right. that wasn't clear. Um, so as of the 12th of April, the government has stopped giving the first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine for people under 50. People who are over 50 seem not to be at risk of these unusual blood clots, and there don't seem to be any cases of blood clots associated with the second dose. So if you have had your first dose, go and get your second dose. But also, don't take your medical advice from two of Australia's foremost political nobodies, um, but that is our best understanding that you should go and get your second dose and there's no risk associated. Um, so, yeah, well, basically, all the vaccines that we had available are no longer safe. So the government is hustling to try and get doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and Dr. Norman Swan, who's the ABC's uh, corona slash health expert, said that they should also look into getting uh, the Moderna brand uh, vaccine doses as well. The government doesn't seem to have said anything whatsoever about Moderna vaccines or about trying to reach the manufacturers or anything like that. Um, right. So presumably there is at least something happening behind the scenes. But uh, hmm? yeah, yeah. Uh, but we don't You're know. The correspondent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, we don't know when or when the Pfizer doses are going to arrive. Um, we don't have any deals. Did signed. you say when or when? When or where. Uh, I mean, I might have said when or when, but I, I meant when or where. We don't know when or when the Pfizer dose Neither is going to them. arrive. That is, uh, it's <laughs> definitely true. Yeah, uh, Like where they're going to come from or when they might come from there. Uh, so yeah, the government has basically just said, we have no targets anymore. So cool. Great plan. No plan. Cool. Great job, government. Um, they're saying, like, hopefully people will mostly get vaccinated by the end of the year, but we don't know how that's going to happen, so... Cool. Um, yeah. And look, that's real small target shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, Labour, take notes. Mm -hmm. This is how you refuse to be accountable for anything. Mm -hmm. You just... <laughs> you, you completely abolish the concept of... <laughs> of targets. Target. Yeah, I of mean, that's what they do with the gender thing. And, yeah, like fucking if you do not try climate change, you cannot and, fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and look, I, I always feel bad whenever I have to acknowledge that there was something that the government did that wasn't terrible, and there was something that the government did that wasn't terrible, which was months and months and months ago, sign a deal to get the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, at. At the time that the deals were signed, we had no idea that it was going to be riskier. It was as good a guess as any of the other options. Um, and I think we based... And, like, other countries only got deals with Pfizer. And if Pfizer had turned out to have a blood clot risk, then we would be, like, swimming in AstraZeneca vaccines and would be happy. You know, and so, yeah, I, I can't yeah, fault them I for that. I think also you could look at it from the perspective of, like... Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, what I can fault them for is having... No goals, no plans, no announcements, no targets. Like, <laughs> I think it also worked yeah. out in their favor that um they fucked up the rollout in the first place, didn't vaccinate nearly as many people as they were going to, 
yeah, now that retroactively, retrospectively looks like kind of potentially a good decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, uh. <laughs> we do actually have a lower than normal number of blood clots, even for these unusual blood clots. They're, uh, they're like, we've got a fifth less in Australia than there are elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, we also didn't give them to many people, so. Mm. <laughs> Impossible to say wh- whether there's a connection. Yeah. Uh, before uh, I finish up and hand over to our uh, correspondent guy, oh, listener guy, uh, with the potluck, um, I just wanted to say there has been a lot of discourse about the blood clot risk associated with hormonal contraceptives. Uh, people have been talking about that in Ospol shitposting and on Twitter and elsewhere, and, you know, how that feeds into the government's priorities as far as women's safety and, and the medical establishment in general. Uh, and I don't want to get into that in a whole lot of detail. I think Guy's about to talk about it a little bit. Um, but, you know, I do want to say the government are misogynists and we should always look out for that in their policies. Uh, and we may come back to this in more detail in future. And if you, listener, know a bunch about this, we would love a potluck about it. So anyway, on that note, let's move on. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, l- let's move on to our potluck from Guy. First of many potlucks. Potluck yeah. of the episode. Yeah. We, we've, guests have arrived and they brought a fucking feast. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is the first of three. Let's hear from Guy on uh, vaccines. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. G'day from Germany, guys. Guy with a long name here. First time caller, long time listener. So first, in regards to the whole blood clotting situation, uh, right now, around about 200 people in Europe have gotten the blood clot thrombosis thing, but that's about out of 30 million people have gotten the vaccine so far. Now, I find it a little bit hard to fault them because during the testing phase, they were only testing between 30 and 36,000 people, and it is very hard to pick up anomalies such as that when you're testing thousands compared to when you're vaccinating millions now the other thing that bothers me about this situation is bill gates but not in the way that you might actually think i haven't seen that many people talk about it or mentioned that much when first developing the vaccine oxford actually pledged to make their version open source meaning that any country or company or whatever could use this version of the vaccine and mass reproduce it and be able to send it out to a lot more people. So then comes along Bill Gates, and he has used his influence with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and a few other companies on the umbrella to influence Oxford to actually sell the vaccine directly to an individual company, which ended up being AstraZeneca because it was under pressure from the UK government as well not to sell to a US company. Now, Bill Gates pressured Oxford to sell it off because he believes that vaccines should be under an IP. He believes giving the individual IP to a company would give a greater trust in the vaccine and vaccines overall compared to making it open source and then perhaps some of these smaller companies or countries making mistakes and making faulty batches and etc. etc. But of course, now with AstraZeneca possibly causing thrombosis and blood clots, hasn't really helped matters anyway. So who knows? Maybe if it was a smaller company or country, 
producing them. They might have actually had scientists who would have picked up the problems with it. Who knows, because there was never the chance given. And so, therefore, once again, someone who has hunting people for sport money has great influence over the rest of the world than the countries themselves. I'm 100% sure all these AstraZeneca vaccines are also going to go to the poor countries anyway, because vaccine nationalism and, and unfortunately, it's still the best vaccine because it doesn't require super cold storage. So, yeah. Anyway, crunch, crunch, fuck cops. Thanks, guy with a long name. Uh, that was a really excellent little potluck. I like how we started one place, took a hard left turn into Bill Gates, which was mm, uh, a mm-hmm. great twist. Yeah. And then I was introduced to the term vaccine nationalism, which I really enjoyed. Mm. Uh, and then I learned something new about the AZ vaccine, which is it doesn't re- require super cold storage. So I feel ve- like that was an extremely informative three minutes. Thank you. Yeah. I also liked how you said Bill Gates. Uh, it reminds me of uh, a podcast that I love, Behind the Bastards, with Robert Evans, who's a great anti-fascist reporter, who will often say, The Jews! Um, but, you know, as on behalf of a terrible person. And, and every time oh, he God. does it, I'm like, you know, I don't mind this particular goy saying the Jews in this particular way, in this particular context. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> Robert I'm- Evans, you, you, get, you get a kosher pass from me. I'm staying out of this one. Yeah, um, great, great call. <laughs> Shall we move on then? <laughs> okay. Say what you will about Pauline. I think Corey Bernardi's right about this. You know, one. you have to hand it to ISIS. I don't normally agree with Channel Seven. Um, we're doing uh, we're doing Broken Clock. Yeah. Oh, uh, fun! I love this segment. Yeah, it's hey, look, it's one of our more popular stings, potentially our most recent sting. Uh, this is a segment reserved for people who do shit stuff doing an accidentally good thing. And this is like eh, a bit of a reach, but hey, most of our segments are welcome to the show. Story is, mandatory assessments for NDIS participants have been put on hold. Uh, this comes from the new minister in charge of the NDIS, Linda Reynolds, who I guess has now recovered from the medical shock of calling Brittany Higgins a lying cow and yeah. is back at work. Mm-hmm. Um Glad that she was able to uh, make a speedy the treatment that recovery she needed. from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, we've mentioned the, these mandatory assessments uh, a few times on the show. I went into a little bit of detail about it last week. And um, if you want even more info, you can go back and listen to our episode with Joe from Chronically Fully Sick. I believe that was episode 67 off the top of my head. Um these uh, basically, you know, it's, it's a new proposed way to assess how people are going to get funding or whether people are going to get funding from the NDIS, which involves a panel of strangers coming into disabled people's homes for three hours and watching them do everyday stuff, basically, and then making a decision about whether or not or how much NDIS funding they are entitled to on that basis, as opposed to the current system, which involves uh, people basically... Uh, tendering evidence from the medical professionals who they are already seeing mm. and who have they've been dealing with previously. Um, and disabled people, advocates within the sector have been saying since this idea was floated, this is a very, very bad idea. It's invasive, it's demeaning, and it's clearly just a smokescreen for 
kicking people off the NDIS and accepting fewer participants for the scheme in the first place. Because mm-hmm. essentially there's a massive cost blowout um, in the NDIS, you know, or at least it's costing much more than the government was hoping it was yeah, going to cost. Yeah. So, that, you know, there's been this kind of mad scramble um, to try and cut back on um, <laughs> spending money on making people's lives livable, which is... I guess a real signature. Obviously, move the worst from thing that a government, Australian do. government. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so assessments are definitely still on the cards. Potentially, mm-hmm. Reynolds herself has referred to these assessments as "quote globally recognized assessment tools to ensure consistency and fairness." So she's not like, "Oh, we have heard the community and we have decided against this." She's just yeah. like, "Eh, we're going to push it back. Not talk about this for a minute." Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So, you know, we we spoke last week about proposed new NDIS legislation that's been developed under the purview of the previous minister in charge of the NDIS, biblical non-scholar and avid surfer of the internet, Stuart Robert. Mm -hmm. Um, So this legislation uh, would uh, introduce these independent assessments, among other things, um, including, as we covered last week, giving the minister uh, in charge of the NDIS basically unilateral power to decide what would and would not be funded. Yep. under the scheme. Very, very bad legislation. Uh, and so now it looks like that the introduction of that legislation, including the, assess- uh, the introduction of these assessments, is probably going to be pushed back potentially quite a bit. Um, as far as the assessments, they're going to be pushed back at least until the results from like a trial uh, pilot program come back. Right. And so those results aren't supposed to come back until later this year. As That's a quote. Sure, later yeah, this yeah. year um <laughs> uh so you know a vague time later this year and this legislation was hoped like the government wanted to have it introduced later this year right. so you know if they can't introduce it until they get the results back blah 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 you know domino effect probably this is going to get pushed back quite a bit um but why is it getting pushed back well partially uh i'd put it down to the massive com- community backlash against assessments in general uh, against the mandatory assessments that um, I'd mentioned, uh, you know, from within the disability community. Um, but also, you know, all of this stuff that the government has been trying to do with the NDIS is supposed to be done, it's supposed to be happening quietly and efficiently behind the scenes. Like Stuart Robert has, we, yeah, as yeah. we spoke about last week, has been writing all of this legislation with basically no community consultation yep. and no consultation with and it's state gone through ministers. Seventy nine drafts with no one hearing shit about 80. it. Well, exactly yeah. the eightieth yeah. one we and, heard about. Yeah, and the state and the state uh, ministers in charge of disability are having to work from a leaked copy of the legislation it's because Stuart so Robert hasn't incredible. given them the actual thing. Um, so yeah, you know, essentially over the last couple of weeks. All of these proposed changes have become big news stories. There have been so many leaks from within the National Disability Insurance Agency, from the uh, state disability ministers. We we covered the uh, leaked uh, WhatsApp group chat yeah, between yeah. the federal and state disability ministers last week. It is still very funny to me. So, you know, essentially now this stuff is out in the open. I think the government's initial plan to, like, rush all this stuff through under the radar and get it done before anybody is even thinking about the word election that's that's basically been um next you know yeah it's been next it's been next 
So, okay, now we have an opportunity. We've got a new minister in charge of the NDAS, Linda Reynolds, um, and she's she going to be a basically... great face for that portfolio. Oh, absolutely. She's really so she uh, gets to come a winner in... in the public eye at the moment. Oh, absolutely. Big, big. <laughs> the public is a big fan. Um, so, yeah, she now gets to come in and be like, oh, yes, well, well, you know, we need to see all the evidence, and I'm taking a very sensible evidence, evidence-based approach to policy and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Bunch of other bullshit. Whatever. Look, at the end of the day, it's still a good thing that this stuff um, isn't being introduced as soon as they were said it was going to be, and that they are, the government is now hedging and saying that we're going to look at evidence that might provide a little bit of leeway for abandoning these independent assessment plans altogether, which would be great news, because yep. they're fucked. They're very, very bad. Um, and if this is a little chink in the armor of this new proposed legislation, which has a whole bunch of even mm. worse stuff mm. in it, so much the better. So, fingers crossed that this cool. is indicative a sign of things of... not to come. Yeah, exactly. That uh, <laughs> the government's plans for completely fucking the NDIS have been at least partially undermined. Great. That's a broken clock. Um, I also want to give a broken clock shout out to Mark Latham uh, for his comments about some dances, but maybe we can get to that a little bit later. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's move on now to our First Nations story, and I'm going to put a content warning at the top of this one for uh, using the names of Aboriginal people who have died. So if you want to skip this story, we'll put time codes in the show notes uh, for you to skip ahead. Uh, So uh, this week, on the 15th of April, it was the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, which was um, released in, in 1991. Uh, and as I'm sure uh, most people listening to the show will be aware, since the commission, there have been more than 474 Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, and so this week I wanted to uh, go through a list of 10 demands that have been released by the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service, um, which, yeah, essentially they're, they're, they've released this list of things that they think need to happen in order to um, stop this mm. uh, horrible, you know, tragic epidemic of Indigenous deaths in custody. Um, and, yeah, I thought it'd be good to go through that list. Uh, so, number one, governments need to fully implement all recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody while involving and listening to our families. Um, so, depending on who you ask, there are different numbers on this, but up to about two thirds of the recommendations have supposedly Mm. been implemented, but obviously it's not working. The rate of incarceration for indigenous people has gone up since 1991. So things are not even moving in the right direction. Um, And, you know, we can have conversations about whether implementing those recommendations from the Royal Commission alone will be enough um, to stop this. Uh, second demand, we need an independent investigative body to inquire into all deaths in custody. Police officers must not be allowed to investigate other police officers or prison officers. This one seems pretty basic and the yep. evidence is there. I yep. mean, there has been not one single conviction for an Indigenous death in custody. So um, that one seems pretty obvious. Number three. Governments need to reallocate public funding away from punitive policies and expansion of prisons and invest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander-led grassroots solutions. This means more excellent schools, community health care, and healing programs by 
and for our people. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we have seen how fantastic the results are when First Nations communities take control of their own healthcare, their own education. And conversely, we've seen how damaging it is when that self-determination is removed and they are placed, you know, and First Nations people are placed into uh, colonial systems yep. which completely disregard uh, their, you know, <laughs> their Religion, medical needs, their cultural and... needs. Exactly. Yep. Uh, fourth demand is to allow all of our people in police cells access to custody notification services mm. without delay or exception. This service saves lives and must be properly resourced. So, yeah, we've, we've mentioned um, yeah. custody notification services or uh, CNS before on the show, which is essentially like this uh, trigger that is activated when a, uh, an Aboriginal person is incarcerated, where their family is notified immediately that they are in uh, police custody. Mm. Um, and mandatory uh, CNS was actually a recommendation of the Royal Commission. So this is, you know, yep. not a new idea. And uh, yeah, I mean, as uh, the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service say, like this is a service that saves lives. And the families of several Indigenous people who have died in custody in recent years have said that they mm. think that those deaths could have been prevented had they been notified of mm. their loved ones incarceration. So there are certain states that have CNS and certain that don't. Um, so, you know, this is something that needs to be rolled out uh, across, across the, the country. country. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> demand number five, end the physical restraint, abuse and torture, including spit hooding and solitary confinement of all people in police and prison cells. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, to, to pull out one specific thing there, spit hoods are, were famously used on children in the Northern Territory. And they also contributed to the death of Wayne Feller Morrison mm. in 2016. So that's a specific uh, torture device that is currently being campaigned against specifically by um, uh, Morrison's family. Um, I mean, it's just to see them in use, it's fucking, it's just horrifying. Mm. Just Dylan Boa at them, didn't he, as well? Yeah, he was yeah. one of the kids in the Northern Territory. Yeah. I think he was 13 when they, yeah. you know, strapped him completely to a chair and, and put a spit hot over him. I mean, mm. it's just, mm. there's no other word it's for it. It's literally a torture device. Yeah, no, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, demand number six. Families deserve to know that if their loved ones die in custody, they will be heard. There will be a timely, thorough, independent investigation and they deserve to be present at any public investigation of their loved one's death. This includes being provided with the means to attend all hearings. Families also deserve to know that their loved one's body is being treated in a respectful way. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about the Dajua Foundation, Mm. which is being set up by uh, Tanya Day's daughter, April Day, um, with several other uh, Indigenous activists who've had loved ones die in custody, and that foundation is... Uh, specifically uh, trying to address the needs of families going through this experience of having, um, you know, one of the number die in custody. Because, yeah, it's an incredibly, obviously, not just an emotionally and psychologically trying time, but financially as well, the burden of of, uh, attending hearings, being present for investigations. Um, Interesting here, the, I mean, the, what the, uh, National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service seems to be suggesting as some kind of um, formalized state-led, um, mm-hmm. you know, state-provided funding for this, where 
April Day, when uh, speaking about the Dajua Foundation, said it was very important that the Dajua Foundation was uh, independent, and it is, you know, they're completely sort of like uh, crowdfunded, essentially. So, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what Nat Seals are um, model for that suggesting is there, yeah. but yeah, but you know, I think maybe it's just important to recognize that there's always going to be nuance and not just one way to do things mm. and not full agreement on every mm. on way to implement all of these ideas. So, yeah, I guess I just wanted to complicate that a little bit. Um, demand number seven, reduce imprisonment of our peoples by repealing punitive bail laws, mandatory sentencing laws, yep. and decriminalizing public drunkenness. This is, you know, this is another very fucking obvious one. We've spoken numerous times about the case of Tanya Day being a prominent example who, of someone who was racially targeted under public drunkenness laws. Uh, demand number eight, commit to raising the age of criminal responsibility to at least 14 years and have a minimum age of detention of 16 years. Our babies do not belong in prison. Um, again, don't put kids in jail. I mean, don't put anybody in jail, especially, especially don't put children. kids in jail. Yeah, yeah. Um, the rate of imprisonment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids in the Northern Territory is 43 times the rate of incarceration of non-Indigenous children. And in fact, in the Northern Territory, every single child who yep. is in the prison system is Indigenous. In Queensland, the rate of incarceration is 23 times the rate of incarceration of non-Indigenous children. In Western Australia, 21 times. In South Australia, 20 times. This is completely fucking unacceptable. We have children in jail as young as 10 years old. This... This cannot be happening. Number nine, we need governments to implement decarceration strategies, including ending mm. imprisonment of our people who aren't sentenced, ensuring access to income support and raising the rate of job seeker, ending homelessness, strengthening justice reinvestment and preventing violence against women. So obviously starting at this kind of like societal uh, and economic level and dealing with the root causes that, uh, you know, end up, pushing people towards the um the injustice system as as I've heard it referred to is you know is is crucial here but you know this uh idea of like stop imprisoning people who haven't been sentenced like that's really fucking basic yeah. you know if you're a judge and you're sentencing someone to you know go to prison to await trial that is much more likely to be a fucking death sentence for an indigenous mm, person mm. than it is for anyone else we saw in 2017 Tane Chatfield who died in uh, in uh, prison in New South Wales, who had been on remand awaiting trial yeah. for two years yeah. when he died. I mean, that's just, you know, should not be happening, obviously. Uh, and the final demand here, number 10, we need federal funding for policing and prisons to be repurposed to meet the needs of all communities, including Aboriginal and Torres mm -hmm. Strait Islander communities. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this a fundamental kind of shift in the way that we understand, okay, like, if you want to spend money to try to, like, prevent Indigenous people ending up in, in prison, that money cannot be going to prisons and police. Yeah, yeah. Like, it needs to be going into communities and that money, like, the, how that money is spent and where it is most needed should be decided by those communities. Um, you know, and you know, a lot of these suggestions are kind of 
coming at the tail end of the problem, I guess. You know, there is mentions there of of um, dealing with some of the socioeconomic issues that, um, you know, put people in the path of the uh, injustice system in the first place. But, um, you know, so the idea of like, you know, there's nothing, there's, it's, it's all, I guess what I'm saying is this is all fairly, um, practical stuff that can be implemented it's like achievable pretty quickly. reforms that aren't exactly. going to like shake the foundations of white Australia yeah. too badly. Yeah, but, yeah. Right. You know, abolish the police, abolish prisons are not in here as demands. These are, it's like, you know, don't you use say, torture devices on children in jail. It's, it's like, surely, surely very, that very should be fucking doable. easy stuff. Yeah. Very simple stuff. So there, you know, obviously we're, we're talking about, a prison, uh, uh, a system and a problem that has its roots in the violent colonial dispossession of indigenous people, but also, you know, people are dying mm. now, today, mm. and these are solutions to kind of try to mitigate that um, in in the kind of immediate term. So, uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was good to go through and just feel like, you mm. know, it's it's not some kind of abstract thing that, oh, we don't know how to solve this, like, Here's ten very, very easy things that we could do right off the bat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. Okay, thanks for that, Zach. Um, now we're going to move on to our second of three potlucks this week. Um, and this is sort of a follow-on. We, we put it after the First Nations story because it's a, a follow-on from um, something I talked about last week. Um, I mentioned the mystery of eels and how we've um, probably lost... Um, knowledge irretrievably uh, that was embedded in the Kuyang rock formation that was destroyed by a farmer over the Easter weekend. Um, and I sort of mentioned, yeah, people, uh, eels are mysterious, uh, but I don't even know about eels, so p- please let me know. And uh, two people uh, sent me some information. One was a uh, friend, confidant, member of our Inner Sanctum, Coot. So thank you, Coot, for, for that info. And also Thanks, um, our very own shitposter extraordinaire, Hill Montato, um, who is a... a marine biologist i'm pretty sure so here is hill telling us about eels potluck where you bring the snacks g'day zach g'day noon it's me hill from ozpol shitposting um thanks for having me uh so last week noon you were talking about freshwater eels in europe and how we don't really know how they breed and then you asked if someone could do a potluck on eels Uh, I work at an aquarium, so I figure I could probably talk a little bit about eels. Um, So the Australian and New Zealand freshwater eel species, the long-finned and short-finned eel, are very similar to the European one in the sense that we don't know really what they do when they go off to the ocean. Uh, With the Australian species, I think they go off to like New Caledonia somewhere. Um, And then, yeah, we don't know, but then a bunch of babies come back. The European eel, I think, goes to the Saracusa Sea. Um, something cool that happens, though, is because it takes them about 15 to 30 years to get big enough to actually go breed. And if they get stuck in land, so whether that's in a tank or in a dam or something, um, they miss their window to do their breeding, and then they just don't die. So there's, like, New Zealand long-finned eels that are, like, 110 years old. I think there are some that people claim are close to 200, though I don't think they're verified. Um, but they sort of just turn into, like, mega incels. Um, you were talking about how, yeah, we don't really um, know much about eel breeding. Um, these days we actually have done some aquaculture on a bunch of species. I believe the European eel, 
um, and the Australian New Zealand eel as well. Um, it's not very efficient. You need to do some pretty weird stuff. Uh, I believe one in Japan, you have to inject some like salmon hormones into them. Um, so it's very expensive. It's not very efficient. We don't really know what we're doing. And I think that really ties back into what you were saying last week on how with the destruction of these sacred sites um, that hold information from First Nations peoples who have been farming eels for thousands of years, we really don't know what we've lost. Um, and there's no way to know what we've lost. Um, and with the eels, it's pretty important. Um, thankfully, the Australian New Zealand species are doing okay-ish, um, but a lot of the other freshwater eel species around the world are not doing great. Um, and that's because people like to eat those glass eels. So that's what we call the babies when they come back. Um, so like the European eel almost went extinct. I think it's doing a little better now. Um, but getting like sustainable aquaculture going is an option. Um, but yeah, with the loss of all that knowledge, it's uh, really tough. Otherwise, though, uh, that's enough from me. Thank you guys for doing what you do. Farewell. Thanks, Hill. That was a fucking sick potluck. And uh, Zach hadn't listened to it before. And it was amazing getting his facial reaction the whole way through. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know that eels were like lobsters. They just Keep don't going. die. Yeah. They just go and go. Yeah. Um, sea creatures are fucked. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> glad I live on land. <laughs> just, just, just putting that out there. There's a lot of extremely freaky stuff happening mm. down there, but it's all very cool. Thank you very much, Hill. Um, it, it is. I mean, that was very, very cool. A lot of very interesting information. Also very sad. Mm. Humans are really, really good at destroying beautiful things. Mm -hmm. And um, not just when it comes to, uh, you know, wildlife and ecosystems, but also, like, <laughs> knowledge that has been passed down over, like, innumerable generations mm. very good at just destroying that losing that information and culture forever pretty tragic stuff eels are cool though so that's eels good. are very that's, cool that's eels a are very cool so good aspect of that yeah. as holly would say swings and roundabout mm -hmm. um yeah thank you very much for that hill hill now it's time to move on um <laughs> It's time for Fashy Australia, isn't it? Yes. Fashy Australia. Yeah, so we're getting into our um, sort of main... We're going to be talking military stuff for the next little while. Um, yeah. Military industrial crumpets. That was one mm -hmm. <laughs> floated pun. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's a high-quality pun. Thanks, Noon. I was pretty happy with it. Uh, but you, I think you had a more topical one. I think we might keep military industrial crumpets for another another week. But this yeah, time... I think we might go with um, which is relevant to this story. One hundred and one bread rolls squadron. Um, which what could uh, this yeah, possibly really be about? One. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, <laughs> let me tell you, Noon. Today in Australian politics, is it okay for an important old man to watch a sexy dance at the inauguration of a brand new floating death machine? This is a vital question, and one that should be discussed relentlessly, forever, by absolutely everybody, including us, now. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this is essentially just a meme that got out of hand, as far as I can tell. Sure. I mean, I'm sure everybody has seen it. It's a, there's a, there was a funny video of a dance performance 
at the launch of Her Majesty's Australian ship. Is that what AMHS stands for? Uh, Her Majesty's, I'm going with something. HMAS, because British ships are just HMS. Right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Her Majesty's HMAS Australian supply. ship. Yeah. I don't know why I knew that. That's. Well, here we go. Sense. Look, you know, you're getting your news from somebody who knows about acronyms. HMAS Supply was a dance performance at the launch of HMAS Supply. And yes, I called it a floating death machine, but technically it's a supply ship. And its name is Supply? Yeah. And it's one of two ships called AMHS Supply, um, I think. (laughs) Definitely. And its class is Supply as well. Guys. (laughs) These are not imaginative people. HMAS Bread Roll. (laughs) HMAS Candy Bar. (laughs) Yeah. So... (laughs) Uh, yeah, everybody's probably familiar with the video. It was uh, released by the ABC, and it wasn't the first footage of this dance performance at the launch of this uh, Navy vessel that was released, but it was the funniest because (laughs) it repeatedly cut back to the audience of uh, old white guys in military dress uniforms looking very um, awkward as this, like, it's, it's dance hall is the style of yep. you know it's 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 you know Jamaican dance hall dancing style like it's been called twerking a lot in the media and look here this might be one for listeners correct me if i'm wrong here but you know there may have been a little bit of like there's booty shaking as part of the dancing i don't think it was twerking like dance hall and twerking are two different styles of dance with their own you know like kind of cultural histories anyway if you can illuminate you can shine any more light on the on the the twerking dance hall divide please hit us up um uh but this abc video used the uh magic of editing mm-hmm. to imply that the governor general who was there at the launch of the ship okay was there during this dance performance okay and, and so he was not there but that all of the other military People who were there were in in that footage were actually watching it. Is that right? There was, yeah, there was. So it was being watched by a bunch of top military brass. It's very funny um, because they're all like awkwardly but politely paying attention as one does at a public performance of a thing. Well, um, one and- of the one of the changes because the mm-hmm. like Media Watch released uh, ABC sort of edited the video after there was backlash right. of people being like. No, those people weren't there during this specific dance that you showed, and it's wrong of you to imply that they were. So they re-edited it. Media Watch released the new version alongside the old version to compare, and one of the changes that they made was when they cut to the military brass, like a lot of them were just like awkwardly on their phones, like in the in the updated version. So they were like almost deliberately trying to not imply to they weren't dance. looking at booties. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there's this quote from an ABC article um, that's been going around. Um, The quote goes like this. The dancers are beside the point. We're meant to be a fighting force, one government frontbencher told the ABC, speaking on the condition of anonymity. A question worth pondering. What would Horatio Nelson think of this shit show? Wait, um, that was a government frontbencher, not a military person. Yes. That... And also, who, like, you went anonymous for that, bro? I mean, this is getting ridiculous. Reporters, you just, you cut, this is just a regular, like, you know, sentence from an old crusty white guy. 
why are you giving him anonymity <laughs> to to say what like, he, to, what would Horatio Nelson think? I mean, why do you need to be anonymous? Like, I I agree that they didn't need to be anonymous, but it's not up to the journalist in this particular case. No, it's not. But well, they could have just not run not the said quote, it. Yeah, which too, would have been the sensible yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Horatio and, Nelson you know, would have yeah. been like, hooray. Sexy people he, doing sexy dances. That's my yeah, guess. He, That's, I'm going to put like a. Oh, he, he would have thought it was hot. And then he would have said something extremely racist. Yes. So yes, literally, who fucking cares what he thinks? Mm-hmm. Um, another sort of element of this story is that the dancers who. Um, uh, the, the, the dance troupe's name is 101 Doll Squadron. Hence, they're 101 not, Bread Roll Squadron. That's right, exactly. Um, so they're not happy about this. And there was a quote. Um, uh, 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 here's a quote from their director. We are very disappointed at the ABC's deceptive editing of their video piece, which cut to guests and dignitaries who were not in attendance and shooting from angles, which could not be seen by the audience. We found this very creepy. These are the images appearing in the media and the ABC have a lot to answer for in making us feel threatened and exploited. Mm. So, you know, this dance troupe have had to like shut down their Facebook page because they've been getting they've locked down the Insta. You know, yeah, and, and like that's just really fucking awful. Like, yeah, sad. Nobody should have to put up with that stuff. And their portrayal in the media has been pretty gross. Obviously, the ABC was like, "It's very funny to make it look like the Governor General is watching this, you know, dance performance." Yeah, <laughs> which you know, gross. And obviously, the News Corp's like crack pun writers have been running wild. Um, of course. One of their front line, uh, front page lines was a uh, Navy's new twerk ethic, which that's not even a pun or there anything wasn't a even fucking relevant to the story. There. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, you and I know, Noon, better the than anyone. HMAS supply, model supply, now in <laughs> full twerking order. Hey. <laughs> um, like, it's no work ethic. There you yeah. go. Maybe puns aren't that hard. Yeah. Why? Why are all ours so shit? Anyway, um, it was <laughs> like the way that you know that that these women have been treated in the media and the way, like you know these very lurid like yeah there were a couple of like you know low to the ground angles looking up at their bodies shot by the ABC which have been like screen capped and plastered on front pages mm. like I imagine that would feel extremely violating yeah. like that's yeah. not what they signed up for. Also, on the other hand, want to point out that, you know, like, that's a tough gig, but don't perform at military stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like, just, just, just in general, like, I just, you know, I, I think that hopefully next, maybe next time they can, they'll, they'll turn down military gigs. I, I don't know. You know, it's like performing at a cop function or something, you know. Nobody deserves to be have their privacy violated or be harassed on mm, social mm. media or you know yeah feel it's like got nothing to, they're being to do creeped on no it's a completely separate issue yeah yeah but like you know just yeah we we all creative people should withhold their services from the military that's just my blanket opinion on that um uh, before we get off this I just wanted to read another quote from one Philip Thompson now. I know that you, Noon, are deeply, intimately familiar with Philip Thompson, but just oh, in case any yeah, of the facts have yeah. slipped your slipped your mind, <laughs> as I'm sure they may have slipped some of our um, listeners' minds, 
I will give you a little quick introduction. He is the member for Herbert in Queensland. He's an MP. Uh, he enlisted in the army at the age of 17, 2009, served in Afghanistan, was injured by an IED, mm-hmm. 2018, was awarded Young Australian of the Year for Veterans Welfare Services, but is perhaps best known for a Facebook rant from 2012 where he threatened to literally shoot Muslims in Sydney. Oh, no. Um, yeah. He says that uh, Ooh, he was, like, the... self-medicating for PTSD okay. at the time, which... I'm sure that's true. Maybe so. Uh... Still bad. That's still really, that's still really, really bad. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, here's a quote from him. Standards in the ADF, and definitely when commissioning a ship, should be a little bit higher than that. We've got the CDF, we've got members of parliament there, and the government generals there. I don't think it's appropriate to be twerking. Uh, other people who weighed in included Peter Dutton, who said, quote, this will never happen again. And uh, Morrison, who basically refused to comment on the dancing but just used it as an opportunity to put the boot into the ABC. <laughs> I am very disappointed this event was so misreported. I think it was very dishonest, and I think standards have failed. Which, like, points for consistency, bro. Got to give it to. Got to give it up. But anyway, what I want to come back to here, Noon. Mm-hmm. This is kind of connected to my creative people withhold your services from sure the military and the cops. Um. Philip Thompson doesn't think that dancing is an appropriate way to launch mm-hmm. a floating death supply machine. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to put you on the spot. What do you think would be an appropriate performance hmm. to launch a ship that bolsters the military capabilities of an illegitimate white supremacist settler state? Hmm. Just off the top of your head. Like maybe a blackface minstrel show or something? Uh, <laughs> or a... Uh, like. Or maybe just, you know, in The Simpsons, um, when they drive that boat out into international waters and then they gamble on two monkeys having a knife fight. <laughs> I think that might be sort of uh, a, an appropriate symbol. I mean, obviously, neither of those yeah, things should happen. A screening happen, of, like, but that's why you know, Triumph of the that. Will, potentially. Yeah, Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Gone with, gone pro- with the Wind. Projected on the side of the boat. Um, um, 300 or maybe that new marvel punisher series or, ju- or just like one of the youtube compilations like of like every kill from one of the punisher from uh-huh. the punisher tv uh-huh. show combined yeah. into one like really cool five minute clip with some metallica over it just just project that onto the side of the boat just get one of those like christian hate preachers from mardi gras to come and do a tight five <laughs> <laughs> um what i've got written in my notes here which it's not a very it's not very good for a prepared joke, but um, I <laughs> okay. you know I, I went to the trouble of writing anyway. it out yeah, while yeah, I yeah. was fairly drunk last night. So perhaps a nice simple chamber ensemble rendition of Percy Granger's classic English Country Garden to participate to to celebrate our participation in the endless racist wars could be appropriate. I think I, that's probably what Philip Thompson has in mind. I don't know what that song is. I'm just thinking about Placebo's magnum opus, English Summer Rain. Um, but yeah, I think that's part. I don't know if Philip Thompson would appreciate that. No. Yeah. Um, speaking of, it was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. <laughs> Guess who's back? It's Philip Thompson again. Um, I can so only assume you glad with that the blurst I... take. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, um, there, there is some other, uh, there, is, there are other quotes in this, in this story, but anyway. Uh, kind of following on from that um, mm-hmm. previous story, I wanted to say, I wanted to draw attention to this Philip Thompson quote. 
Having Minister Dutton at the helm and leading our Australian Defence Force, we're bringing back our core values. We've gone a little bit woke over the past few years, and we can't afford to be doing that. Sorry, can I um, just say, no, you haven't. You, the military <laughs> has not gone a little bit woke over the past few uh, years. That is well incorrect. Once you've heard the rest of this story, Noon, I don't know if you will agree. <laughs> okay. Okay. Look, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. <laughs> you may have to wait and see. So, um... Yeah, you know, I mean, he's very keen for the military to get back to its core value, yeah. which is killing, yes, obviously. Yes. Um, and just as a kind of side note, I love the the corporate, like, what is our identity approach, but for um, state-sanctioned murder. <laughs> yeah. Um, here at the Australian military, we're committed to upholding our core values. Killing, often, and with impunity. <laughs> Got a shout-out, Robert Evans and his regular... Uh, ads that he does for Raytheon and their <laughs> new X-47 Stinger missiles. Guaranteed yeah, to only kill one third of, of the children in a bus. Money? Yeah. Um, um, or yeah, ADF, so look, uh, you know. This, this is a quote I pulled from an article uh, by the ABC's defense correspondent, Andrew Green. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of big part of a PR push from the libs generally, but Dutton specifically about how he is now the big special defense boy and he's not ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So specifically, this article is mostly about a newsletter from the assistant defense minister, Andrew Hasty, which is, uh, it's like a newsletter that he sent out to his constituents and Andrew Hasty, quick reminder for those who needed one like myself is another um, politician who is a, a military veteran. Yeah, He's I was going to guess that he was the uh, anonymous frontbencher that you quoted earlier. That, that He yeah. was my guess. Um, I'm not 100%. I'd say that's a solid guess. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's ex-SAS, and he's the member for Canning in Western Australia. Um, and uh, a couple of ripper quotes from his newsletter, his constituents' newsletter. Our military serves a vital role across Australian society, whether during pandemic, flood, or fire. But the ADF's core business will always be the application of lethal violence in the defense of our values, sovereignty, and interests. Uh, we should never forget that. So, like, you know... Oh, no, I said Thompson, the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud. Well, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how fucking... How, you know, I could do all the uh, bits until the cows come home about, you know... We here at the Australian military love killing with no consequences. Yeah. This motherfucker can just come out and say that shit, like, with absolutely no self-reflection at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> like, I, even attempting to be satirical, cannot am not as on the nose as our assistant defense minister. It is incredible. Um, there's another quote here, which I thought you might enjoy from the newsletter. Mission clarity is vital in the profession of arms. Without it, confusion grows. Confusion about role, identity, and purpose. And confusion is deadly on the battlefield, at sea, or in an aerial dogfight. Mission focus is the foundation of victory. It keeps everyone driving towards a singular purpose. Okay. I mean, the aerial dogfight just really fucking killed me. He's talking about, like, what dilution of mission clarity are you talking about? Are you saying that every time that we send the Army, Navy, or Air Force to go and deal with what was it that he mentioned? 
pandemic flood or fire. Every time they go and like actually help people, what we're doing is like shaving down their fucking kill preparedness. We're making them less and less clear that what they need to be hmm. ready to do is enter into an aerial dogfight at yeah, any wow. point in time. It didn't, I do didn't we, really did put that together, but you're absolutely happen? right. I, or like, well, no, every what, single fucking war is asymmetric now, so no, they don't happen. They don't. They don't happen. What you're really doing is killing unarmed Bombing civilians, people yeah. and sometimes being shot at with stinger missiles. Yeah, very, very, very rarely. Thanks to the people at Raytheon. Um, but um, the, well, like perhaps this is supposed to be, you know, him using his military identity as an analogy for being, being politically in focused. Sure. Yeah. Sure. You know which. Again, that's hilarious, um, if very, very depressing. Anyway, Noon, you didn't believe me that the army, or you didn't believe Philip Tom... God, I've even forgotten his name. Thompson. You didn't believe Philip Thompson that the army has been going woke. Well, did you know that in 2018, the chief of defense issued a directive banning soldiers from cosplaying as vicious murderers? That is Does that not sound like pretty woke? Cancel culture run amok to you. So yeah, he basically he banned <laughs> he banned <sighs> soldiers from and and sorry when I say cosplaying as vicious murderers, I mean fictional ones. Okay, you're allowed so to dress up as the actual the real Zodiac life killer, Hitler, yeah, yeah, and so on. <laughs> well, probably Hitler is a little. Uh... On the edge. Borderline. Uh, <laughs> it's a little how you're going. I mean, we do have, uh, we ha- did have Australian SAS troops literally flying the fucking swastika in Afghanistan. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, I think it was Afghanistan. Oh, that um, wasn't cosplaying. That was just like That was just, yeah. Uh, no, but specifically, this is about the banning of uh, soldiers wearing like deaf icons. So the Punisher logo. Sure, um, sure. Good. Or like wearing skull masks, little Grim Reaper icons, yeah. you know. Stuff are that... we the baddies? <laughs> they don't want anyone asking, are we the baddies? And then looking at that YouTube video. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So the idea like that that constitutes being too woke yeah. is like, that makes me just want to ban politicians from being allowed to use words yes. until we can yeah, figure well... out what the fuck is going on here. And I mean, generally, like, I mean, look Silence. at fucking Peter Dutton being like, oh yeah, well this right-wing terrorist is actually a left-wing terrorist because you see he's a terrorist and that makes him left-wing. Again, words probably should it's... be prohibited. <laughs> Everyone until, until they have some meaning, politicians are not allowed to use them. Uh, obviously, we, we know that like one of the long-term cultural and ideological projects of capitalism generally, but also the military-industrial complex specifically, is to erode the meaning of words and to mm-hmm. euphemize everything they possibly can. So, like, it is, you know, it is sinister. It's not just, you know, it's not just a gag, although it is that too. Uh, it also is banning soldiers from, like, putting a little iron-on Punisher patch on their uniform, like, actually going to address the cause of, like, a culture of gleeful consequence-free murder? No, well, Or that's... is it perhaps just a symptom of yeah. culture? I mean, we can never know. Really? It's just like, look, we need to get back to our core values of murdering and killing, but we are not meant to have a sense of humor about that. We have to pretend that it's for the greater good. Yes, exactly. And that's ultimately what the issue here is. 
the the question of whether or not we should be participating in imperialist global conflict and, and murdering innocent people in the name of freedom i guess mm. is like not at all the question here it's about propriety and that's like so there's yep. actually yep. a direct like ideological through line between this story which is about politicians being upset that soldiers aren't allowed to dress up as their favorite fictional murderers mm -hmm. and other people being upset that there was some like sexual ish dancing happening at the launch of a totally, death machine totally like, yeah yeah it's not this, proper it's this, yeah exactly it's about propriety yeah that's what it is and like you know i've got a quote here from the chief of defense oh what's the dude's name i feel like it's angus campbell maybe um, Sounds right. But I also don't care. Yeah, it may as well be Angus Campbell. If it's not, may as well be. Um, I've got this quote here from him that I think cuts to the heart of the issue here. So and he's talking about these death symbols that soldiers, like, you know, wear into battle to make themselves look fucking terrifying or like the cover of uh, Call of Duty. We'll get into that in a second. Um, he says, such symbology is never presented as ill intention and plays to much of modern popular culture, but it is always ill-considered and implicitly encourages the inculcation of an arrogant hubris and general disregard for the most serious responsibility of our profession, the legitimate and discriminate taking of life. So that's like... Oh, God. These guys don't like, mean to be offensive when they actively celebrate murdering people. But that makes it look less good when we celebrate murdering people. Yeah, I mean, you have to be very, uh, you know, you have to be very stoic and poker-faced about mm -hmm. your your uh, state-sanctioned murder. And look, I've got some more notes here, but I think we've probably said enough. But there's one thing that I wanted to touch on before we move on. Mm -hmm. and, and this is something that occurred to me as I was trying to go to sleep last night after two to three too many whiskeys. And I, my, my eyes snapped open and I was like, oh my god, my brain has formed Found a new synapse take. or whatever and made a connection yeah which is um that really what these guys are doing more more than anything else they are emulating what the cover of violent covers of violent video games look like like if you mm. look at the cover of call mm -hmm. of duty modern warfare or whatever it's a dude in full military regalia wearing like you know a face mask that has a skull on it like that's what these soldiers are imitating. And like, of course, these, you know, it's a cyclical thing. They feed into one another in terms of... We know COD is like funded by the Defense Department specifically to try and recruit young men, but yeah. There you go. Um, but it's just very, very funny to me that Peter Dutton, the Minister for Defense, went on TV just a couple of weeks ago to talk about how awful the influence of violent video games is on our children. Dude. It's not children playing GTA that we need to be worried about. Yeah, yeah. It's actual, literal soldiers who are going out and actually literally killing people, dressing up and emulating violent video games, thinking that they're in a fucking video game. Like, that's... If you want to actually talk about what the negative influence of violent video games is, you need to be looking much closer to home. Anyway, I just thought that was a very, like... When that occurred to me, I was like, huh. That's kind of funny. Anyway. <laughs> I guess. I don't think it's very funny, but it, it is awful. So in that sense, it was definitely it's, worth mentioning. It's yeah. definitely, definitely awful. Um, anyway, we, 
let's uh palette cleanse with a nice uh cheerful one uh-huh yeah well uh my part of this uh <laughs> military industrial crumpet bread roll squadron uh smorgasbord is uh, a little update on war hero ben robert smith um who has made front page news basically every day this week uh not this morning uh as of the day of recording but i think for the last <laughs> five consecutive days um for a variety of alleged war crimes and also regular crimes um now yeah listeners please do remember there is an alleged in front of everything i'm about to say in this story except the term war hero he is a certified rolled gold guaranteed war hero no matter how many civilians hands he may or may not have hacked off with a machete so ben robert smith um joined the army at age 18 uh, and amongst other normal and cool things for people to do he was deployed to afghanistan on six occasions uh where as soldiers generally are he was paid to kill people um he was given two medals of gallantry uh both for killing people and he was also awarded a third medal the victoria cross which is the highest honor australia can uh bestow on anyone and zach can you guess what that was for uh war crimes correct yes yeah 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 that's Uh, usually what um yeah Military medals are, are awarded for, yeah. It's, uh, it's it, it was, it was at least approach, multiple, like... multiple murders. Uh, uh, un- may not have been war crimes specifically, oh, sorry, but definitely multiple, yeah, yeah. multiple murders. He was given an alleged Victoria Cross, mm-hmm. the, the highest honour in alleged Australia for alleged war crimes. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's like that. I can't remember the name of the dude, but there was that Navy SEAL, um, uh, American Navy SEAL, who did a bunch of similar stuff mm-hmm. in, in Afghanistan, like, you know, just murdering children um, for fun, basically, and was awarded many, many medals for that stuff because it's the Christian Porter approach of like, what would an innocent organization and person do? We would well, celebrate we would... this, yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Um, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, and as we just discussed in the last story, like that's that's what the army is for, and all of these guys are being like, oh, we're spending too much time on dancing. We need to be doing more. Murders, like... Too much time not dressing up as the Punisher. We need to be focusing on just doing more of what the Punisher does. Yep. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, war hero Ben Robert Smith eventually left the army in 2013. Uh, cool, chill war hero with multiple homicides, just, like, hanging out in the community, went and studied business at, at uni. And in 2015, he got a job managing Channel 7 in, uh, in Queensland. So, well, it was either that or become a politician. And I know which I'd choose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so nothing nothing bad so far in this story. I think we could all agree. Everything so far that I've said about <laughs> Very him is, above the board. is great. Yeah. yeah but in 2017, uh, a journalist named Chris Masters started looking into him. And I haven't uh, hadn't heard of Chris Masters because apparently I'm a total fucking noob at politics. Um, because amongst many other things, Masters broke the story on four corners that led to the Fitzgerald inquiry into the corrupt activity of Queensland Premier John Joe Bielka-Peterson. 1987. Oh wow! So this guy like We're talking dug about up an experience investigative journal. Here. Seriously, uh, that's like yeah. maybe the biggest case other than the Whitlam dismissal, biggest story in like modern Australian political history. Or like it's up there. So that's dope. I want to go back and read that reporting. Yeah, maybe we should do a bonus on it. True, true, true. Uh, yeah, he did a four corner story. Go watch that. 
Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, this guy, no, no small fry in the investigative journalism business. And he started looking into certified war hero Ben Robert Smith for his book, which was called <laughs> No Front Line about the war in Afghanistan. And I haven't read it, but as I understand it, the, the title No Front Line is about how like the lines between like shooting soldiers and shooting random children were completely blurred because they were fighting insurgents. And that means that you end up murdering civilians. Yeah, um, and that you get a medal for anybody that you kill. That's right. So in the book, he alleges Robert Smith hunted down and killed an unarmed teenager that he knew was unarmed and a teenager. Um, and this uh, led to a series of investigations by the Channel 9 papers and the ABC, uh, who were, you know, collaborating. And these investigations found evidence of a series of really horrific war crimes, including the murders of several other civilians. Um, they... Mm also said that other soldiers had been bullied by Robert Smith and that he had committed domestic violence against one of his former partners. Um, so these were all allegations coming out in The Age and the ABC over the last couple of years. Um, and uh, at the same time, there was this thing going on, the Brereton Report. And so this was a, a report that the federal government commissioned in 2016 looking into war crimes committed by Australian forces in Afghanistan. And this, so this has started in 2016 before Masters um, did this, uh, this uh, you know, broke the story about Ben Robert Smith. Um, but as he and The Age and the ABC kept investigating this stuff, um, they had some findings that tied into the Brereton Report, which then started looking into it. And so the Brereton Report was finished in November last year in 2020. And I think we mentioned it a bit at the time we talked about it. Um, but it found that there were 39 murders of civilians uh, committed and then covered, deliberately covered up by up to 25 ADF troops, um, which included some who were accessories, so presumably a smaller number of actual people doing actual murders and then other people who helped them, like, cover it up or whatever. Yeah, it tends to be the pattern, as far as I understand it, from listening a little bit about this um, Navy SEAL in the, US <laughs> in the States yeah. who I really wish I could remember the uh, dude's name. Yeah, that essentially, like, you get these complete fucking psychopaths even above and beyond what is required of a regular legal murderer who then basically build this team around them who keep the, yeah, who keep the secrets. Anybody who, like, looks like they're going to talk is either, like, ousted or threatened and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's, like, it's a common, it's a common pattern, but also, like, to say that it's just a few bad apples is also not correct because mm. it requires a lot, a lot of people to keep this kind of thing quiet. That's Many right. Many of them extremely senior. Yeah. Well, yeah, interesting that you should say that. Um, so uh, there was a bunch of disturbing findings in the Brayton report, uh, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but some of the key ones were that Australian troops planted false evidence on civilians so they could be reported as combatants. Sometimes that was weapons. Sometimes it was things like radios. Um, they uh, another finding was that uh, soldiers would make new soldiers go out and murder someone in a practice called blooding, which you blooding, know, yeah. normal war hero shit. Um, and interestingly, the Burton report also found that it was the fault of low rank troops on the ground and not the officers and commanders. Um, oh, of and, course, that's yeah. very convenient. Super convenient. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how all of those guys sort of climbed the ranks in the army to become high ranks. I bet it must have been by not killing people uh maybe it was by doing war hero shit yeah yeah mm. it was probably war hero shit um mm. by the way I, I probably should have said this earlier but um i know nothing about how armies work so if i mix up my terms about officers and 
non-commissioned officers or whatever. My apologies. But if you know about that, please feel smug about me being wrong. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's the that's the background for up until this week, or most of it. Um, there is a bunch of extraordinarily fucked up other shit in this war crimes report, as you might imagine. Stuff like cutting off civilians' hands, uh, killing a prisoner so that everyone else could fit on a helicopter, drinking booze out of a prosthetic lead that they took off a corpse of someone that they'd murdered, and so on and so forth. It's extremely, extremely fucked. It's really it's just the most absolutely horrifying stuff you can imagine. And uh, another like piece of background here is that Robert Smith is actually suing the Age and the ABC for defamation. Um, and that's been kind of going on for about two years. They've been preparing for this case, and it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. So part of the reason that some of this stuff is coming out, I think, is because the trial is imminent. Um, but the the journalists have said that they're going to be largely relying on the truth defense, which is basically saying... Yeah, but you did actually do those war crimes, so it's not uh, defamation as such, yeah. is it? Yeah. Uh, which I can only assume is going to be successful, but we'll see. Uh, so this week, the actual breaking news, uh, there's been a few different bits. Um, the first one is that war hero Ben Robert Smith um, has been alleged to have buried USBs containing video, photographic, and written evidence of his crimes in a pink child's lunchbox, which he buried in, in his backyard. Um, according Why? to the age... Why? <laughs> bro, you could, I mean, it's, it's you amazing, could... it's hilarious, it's, it's perfect. But also, what the... Like, the only possible reason I can think of is that he wants to keep... Yes. ...the evidence of these horrible, horrible war crimes... It's a classic like serial killer memories thing to do. For him. Uh, it's a classic serial killer thing to, to take... Like oh me- memorials and shit. Yeah. Like yeah. No, no, yeah, trophies. Now that you said it, yeah. It makes I mean, these aren't. The and also, I mean, a bunch of those photos were trophy, like, but like, sorry, these aren't traditional yeah, types yeah. of trophies. But like, nonetheless, there's this clear parallel. I think. Yeah, I mean, they have the you know the the fucking prosthetic leg, right? And right, like, right. probably a bunch of those photos as well are just like photos of me and the boys hanging out at the base, occasionally having dress up parties where we literally dress up as the Ku Klux Klan with the burning cross. Yeah, example. I think there's probably selfies with corpses and shit as well. Uh, but um, uh, according to The Age, here's a quote, the files buried by Mr. Robert Smith in a pink child's lunchbox included 13 videos of drone vision taken by NATO military forces in Afghanistan, as well as copies of classified operational reports from a special air service mission in southern Afghanistan and contained images of soldiers misbehaving at a makeshift bar. Yeah, um, that was the Ku Klux Klan shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So obviously this would be a crime to hide evidence from the government's Burton investigation and the other various investigations that have been going on into this. And it would also probably mean that he'd perjured himself, i.e. he had lied in court, which is also a crime. Um, hmm. As you say, not just an extreme war crimes guy, but just a regular also crimes guy. regular crimes. Yeah, he's yeah. nothing if not... A criminal. Flexible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's nothing if not... A war crimes guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this week, uh, another thing that The Age has revealed is that they have recordings of him. Um, and these recordings are wide-ranging and fucked in a variety of entertaining and not entertaining ways. Um, mm. So some of them saying he intended to, you know, hunt down and punish politicians, journalists, and other soldiers who had been involved in him getting in trouble about this. Uh, so one thing he said is, I'm going to do everything I can to fucking destroy them, mate. That's my sole fucking mission in life. Um, so, 
cool. it's not like surprising that aside from all this this horrible stuff that he did that he also like talks like a complete fucking asshole. But, yeah, he swears like a fucking podcaster, man. Yeah, um, it definitely adds flavor to the story. I mean, just in case you weren't 100% convinced that this guy was a complete piece of shit. He's recording. a complete piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's another quote from The Age. The new evidence includes letters Mr. Robert Smith allegedly placed in sealed envelopes and planned to send anonymously to SAS soldiers he feared would testify him at a war crimes inquiry. Again, it's clearly a crime to intimidate witnesses or punish people for reporting on you doing war crimes. Yeah, I'm sure this is the first time that he's intimidated other soldiers into being quiet about his crime. No, that's Probably right. Probably yeah. something he's got no history with, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the AFP has announced this week, again, it's opening a new investigation into these various war and regular crimes. And he's also been in this week for not directly crime-related reasons, but for quite uh, embarrassing and bad indirectly crime-related ones. So as I mentioned, he's been working for Channel 7 for the last few years, and for some reason they've been sticking with him throughout this entire shit show. And they've been paying for quite a lot of his legal costs. So some of the recordings The Age have explained this quite succinctly. There's no fucking way I'd be able to keep paying what I'm paying for until Kerry Stokes, who owns Channel 7, got into it. That's why they're shitting themselves, because they realize he's prepared to run his bank down to do it. I probably won't leave the fold now. I think I'm indebted a little bit now to Kerry. Bottom line, I'd be fucked without him. We've certainly had those conversations already. Yeah, so... Yeah, why... Why do you think Stokes is backing him in like this? Uh, I have no clue. Uh, neither does Ben Robert <laughs> Smith, who, again, some of these recordings are him being like, Kerry Stokes is an asshole. Kerry Stokes is an idiot for supporting me. Uh, they're paying me to do this job, but I'm not going to do it because they don't like it whenever I do things. No one here can make plans or run anything. I'm the only person in the office with brains. All sorts of shit. Um... But this week, there was a leak of an email that he wrote to some top Channel 7 executives groveling for all of these leaked insults that he'd given them, saying sorry, <laughs> and that he really, really appreciated all of the money that he's given them. <laughs> very, very funny stuff. Um, yeah, so, oh like, why God. is Kerry Stokes giving him the money? The only thing I can think of, and I only thought of this now, is that the age and the ABC are on the other side of this case. And so Kerry Stokes, who owns channel seven is like fucking with the age and the ABC, but like, I guess I don't, so. that doesn't really add up to a reason. Um, I mean, it's the same. Like, why did he make him an executive at channel seven in the first place? Well, like, that makes sense to me because he was at the time, like, and still technically like Australia's most, decorated, decorated and war impressive crimes war yeah. crimes guy. Exactly, yeah. So he was like, hey, we love Australian war crimes. We've got this dude right. on board. So and he'd done a business degree. Like... Like, it's just branding, I think. Right. And, as, so, as... And, now, and, and it's now like Stokes can't basically admit fault. Well, I don't know. He I has think to... he fucking could if he wanted to. Like, I don't think anyone would think he was doing something wrong by not giving this guy $2 million to fight war crimes cases. Well, I guess since he hasn't been... You know, it's this Scott Morrison approach. If you can't do anything that makes it look like you're reprimanding this person because it's a tacit admission that some they may have done something wrong, at this point, 
they're all just kind of crossing their fingers and hoping that he'll be acquitted. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's a strange situation. But yeah, like, I think uh, just to go back to the issue about it just being branding, basically, like, mm. uh, Ben Robert Smith was saying he can't do his job because they all tell him not to do it, basically. <laughs> so, like, that sounds like they just want him there for the name. But anyway. So, again. Well, yeah, they very, very quickly, he made it apparent that actually he's his useless at doing everything other than committing war crimes. Yeah. Which, like, it, to be honest, it sounds like he's pretty good at. So it makes sense that he's our most decorated soldier. It was, obvious, but... it was definitely his calling. Yeah. yeah. So, again, to summarize, this week, here's been the news for, one, literally burying incriminating evidence. <laughs> two. The pink lunchbox is such a good detail. It is, yeah. Uh, two, planning to threaten journalists, politicians, and other soldiers for potentially incriminating him. And three, a uh, leaked email of him saying sorry for being an A-grade arsehole to the people who had given him about $2 million to fight these lawsuits. So yeah, I think we can agree this is all normal, standard, war hero shit. And I've been harping on about this war hero, war criminal bit, because literally every day, past five days when he's been making front news, every day of the week, they've been calling him a war hero. Um... And I've been posting about this on Twitter. I've been tweeting the age, being like, hey, could you stop calling this guy a war hero? Um, and it was multiple times on every page. But, oh, pardon me. But when I was writing these notes, I had a look. I looked at every single article they've written about him in the last week. There are only three instances of the term war hero remaining. And I can only assume this is because I've been tweeting them about it. So, you know. Yeah. Australia's foremost Twitter political is in real life. Yeah, it occurred to me, actually. Uh, while, while I was looking into this, I was like, maybe it's because they're being sued for defamation. I'm reading the age, that is. And mm. because they're the ones being sued for defamation, maybe they're trying to be like, oh, we've got no problem with calling him a war hero. Like, we're not trying to diss him. We're just saying he did crimes. But then they seem to have deleted quite a lot of those references to him being a war from, hero. So maybe not. The, like, you know, objective journalist perspective, it's like, he, he did is... literally get those awards. Yeah. Um, it just happened that they were for war crimes well no again <laughs> i think his medals were for legal sanctioned murders just just regular okay so soldier crimes not 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 actual war crimes all right that's um that's the end of my ben hero smith rant um listen i know this is on a personal note ben if you are listening i know you're out um you know, painting targets on people's backs who have dissed you and reported on you and stuff. I just wanted to say, we will absolutely, me and Zach are both literal soy boys and will cave immediately at the threat of physical violence, so please don't threaten us. Seconded. Yeah. Cool, all we right. We will not fight you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cool, so uh, that's that's it uh, for our mains. And before we wrap up, we've got a third and final potluck. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. Getting tired of that sting yet? <laughs> no, because uh, I didn't have to listen <laughs> to it when we're recording. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, this is from friend confidant member of my inner sanctum, Cake. So thank you, Cake, for sending this in. Um, it's about the footy. Uh, and footy is super important for a lot of people and neither me or Zach know or care very much about it. And we know that lots of other people do. And, you know, we try to report on it when it comes up in the news. Um, but 
yeah, it's not our wheelhouse, and people who know more about it are better people to listen to about it. So I saw Cake uh, doing a good post about this and about some some good and bad experiences they had at the footy, and so I asked them to record a potluck about it. So here it is. Hi there, my name's Cake. I'm a queer footy fan and a one-eyed Magpies supporter. Uh, I watched three games yesterday. The uh, Melbourne Footy Club uh, women's game, the Collingwood women's game, and also the boys' game at the MCG. I'm really proud of the Collingwood women. Um, They have heart and drive, and they're really good at what they do. I went to the Dismal Boys game at the MCG, and I had to move undercover when it started pissing down rain. There was a woman umpiring, and when there was a decision the crowd didn't agree with, a woman beside me yelled out, "'Go back to netball, you bitch!' And a guy directly behind me yelled something out that included the word assault. I hadn't really heard him correctly or all of what he'd said. I knew I heard the word assault, that was for sure. So I turned around and asked him, what did you just say? And he full on blanked me to my face. I was on my own, so I didn't ask again. I'm thinking I'm starting to prefer women's footy and it's a pity the season's over for us. Collingwood Football Club, the boys, needs a massive overhaul and the rot starts from the top. You can't have no structure in a club and expect to have structure on a field They play terribly because the whole club is rotten. You can't respond to racism allegations with more denial. And I just think every player in the Collingwood Boys Football Club is just feeling like they're a ship out at sea. Yeah, I'm definitely starting to prefer women's footy. Yeah, thanks for talking about that, Cake. Um, it sucks that oh, so much of the footy is so gross and so abusive. And um, yeah, the women's AFL is clearly like a great thing that should be expanded and be funded more and everyone should go and see. And yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, we really appreciate your perspective. Yeah, don't know much about it. So thank you for filling us in. Okay, um, we're about to come to the end of the show, um, and before we do our normal little outro bit, um, I have uh, some really sad stuff to talk about. Um, So, yeah, um, several people in our community have died in the last week or so, Um, so I'm going to use their names and I'm going to talk about them a bit. If you don't want to hear that, you can skip forward a little bit, or you can just um, stop listening to the episode now, Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll put some time codes in. First, I wanted to mention Thomas Coyne, um, who died in a car accident. And I know there are several people who are listening who knew him, which I didn't. And so I I don't want to try and pretend like I knew him or or knew what he was like. But I do know he was loved and that he was a a passionate activist who cared immensely about other people and about 
justice and who worked very hard to try and improve the lives of uh, the people around him and his community. Um, he led the the Yes campaign in Toowoomba for the marriage equality, uh, equality plebiscite, and he just like apparently just completely drove that campaign. And he was like a one man um, machine about it. So that that was a, a huge achievement of his. He was also a candidate for the Greens. Um, he was a passionate student, and he will be missed very much. Um, and there is a, a fundraiser being organised to support his family. Um, so I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and um, please go and support them if you can. Um, and secondly, I want to talk about Daphne Camp, who was a, a Melbourne musician and songwriter who played in um, several bands. I'm I'm not really a music guy, so I, I wasn't familiar with them, but I listened to a whole bunch of her music while I was writing the notes for the show. And she was incredibly talented. She was in a bunch of different bands, and um, there a lot of them are stylistically really different. But I, I, I literally enjoyed every single song that I listened to, which is like amazing. So yeah, she was clearly extraordinarily talented musically. Um, but yeah. she had a lot of. If you want to hear her music, you can listen to the duo Sad, which she has with um, yeah. Simona Castricum. That's uh, Simona and Daphne, Sad. Yeah, yeah. Or you can listen to uh, Nozu, which is an extremely different vibe, as you have totally, pointed yeah, out noon. yeah. yeah. Um, and also Rat versus Possum. Um, yeah, very, very cool music. Um, yeah, Sad has a great sort of like grunge, uh, like uh, what garbage? That band Garbage reminded me of them. I thought, yeah. Anyway, very cool. Um, but she was also a. a perfume makeup which is extremely cool and like such a creative type of creativity and i read this amazing interview with her um about her creative process for making scents and like what that means to her and how she engaged with people about designing perfumes for them and that was just fucking cool mm. she talked about a bunch of other stuff she was also a, a makeup artist as well as everything else she talks about her spirit uh, spirituality and witchcraft and how that can connected with her like uh, chronic illness and chronic pain um conditions mm. And yeah, the the interview was just really beautiful, really insightful, and um, uh, it was called The Divination of Daphne Camp. So I'm going to put a link to that. Um, and Zach, yeah, you mentioned those bands. So if, if you want to go and listen to her work. Yeah, I, really I, I would also say um, another great thing to listen to would be the interview that she did on Chronically Fully Sick, which That's is right. one of our, um, you know, another podcast that is related to us. Um, uh, yeah, and yeah, I mean, Daphne is just so funny and so um honest and open mm, mm. uh in that show and i learned a lot about uh yeah chronic illness and the experience of um dealing with that listening mm. to that show whilst also she's just so funny um so yeah i maybe we'll put a link to that um chronically fully yeah, sick episode great. as well so to everyone who knew thomas and who everyone who knew daphne we're really very sorry for feel us and we hope that you find some comfort with the other people who knew and loved them um and yeah you have our love and sympathy and um there were also some other deaths in the community this week that we've decided not to address by name for various reasons and you know obviously people who listen to the show lose people all the time and we don't always talk about them but these were two important community members that we wanted to mention. And so, yeah, to everyone who, who knew these people or who have lost other people recently, we're very sorry and you have our love and our sympathy. For sure. Okay. Uh, okay, well, that will probably 
do us for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Um, uh, as always, if you like what we do, uh, reviews over on Apple Podcasts are always really appreciated. Um, and uh, Spotify has also recently changed the way that they do their podcast charts. Um, and they're now factoring in how many people follow a podcast on Spotify. So if, you, if you're listening on Spotify right now, scroll up and hit that little follow button at the top. Apparently that's going to help us out in the uh, long term. So we'd appreciate that. And uh, beyond that, obviously, following us on our socials over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is always very helpful. And uh, sharing us with your friends, we love that. Uh, and beyond that, um, if you like what we do and you want to support us financially, you can do it over on Patreon for as little as one US dollar a month, which gets you a monthly bonus episode, access to our Discord, plus uh, other stuff at higher tiers as well. Uh, yeah, I think that does it for the business. Yeah, so now it's time for the pup date. Now it's time for a pup date. What's been going on with Big D this week, Zach? Uh, we've been working on a new trick. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, Tuck. Do you know about Tuck? No. Where what's what's it, a Tuck? I mean, tuck I know it where... in drag, but I don't think that's what Dante's been <laughs> yeah, doing. Yeah, this is a different different Tuck. Um, Dante doesn't need to Tuck. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, not in the not not in the rude way. Um. Anyway, uh, tuck is when your dog comes and like when you're sitting on a chair, your dog comes and like tucks themselves in underneath the chair and like adorable and like lies underneath you. Um. So there's like several stages. Firstly, trying to get Dante to understand that, like, you need to get the dog to sit down in front of you when you're sitting on a chair, but facing away, which is like took a lot of work like that, that was several days difficult. worth yeah, of training. yeah yeah um and he's at the stage now where i'm he like he understands basically what i want him to do but i'm trying to uh get him to associate it with the command now yes so yes. i've like back chained you know all yep. the various elements but he is now coming and lying down under my chair when i'm there oh that's fabulous not reliably and also <laughs> Um, I don't know if it's because we haven't learned a new trick in a while, but he's like on a real hair trigger with um his frustration bucks. Like after the like second you know, time that he's not getting the treat, he's like, what he, the ju- fuck he just do you starts want? yelling at the sky, like, why, 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 why? Um, which is uh funny, but also um quite irritating. <laughs> yeah, also irritating. And I mean, is that not a dog in a nutshell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've also been teaching uh, Bagel, uh, well, it's not exactly a new trick, it's something we've been working on on and off for a while, which is mm. to bork. Um, and I was speak. trying to do it last night, yeah, speak, bark, whatever, yeah. Um, I was trying to get him to do it last night, uh, I was trying to do a silly joke about Pink Floyd, but um, uh, I'll see if we can do it now. Hey, Bagel, come here, come here. Yeah, good boy. He, yes, good dog. Um, he doesn't like borking because he knows that I always tell him not to do it most of the time. So he he'll be a bit reluctant about it. Bagel, can you bork? Yeah, go on. Yep. Yeah. Oh no. Ding. Good boy. Oh, hey. Yeah, that was a, little, a nice little one. Yeah. Can you do another one? It was good. One more. Yeah. <laughs> Ding. Good boy. Hey. Yeah. What a good puppy. <laughs> clever oh, guy. He's such a yeah. clever guy. There you go. Nice. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you very much, team, and thank you so much to all of our potluckers. Yeah, week. we love potlucks. Um, it's so cool when yeah. we Yeah. 
it's really nice to get um one a week and not none for a bunch of weeks and then three in one week but look there's no we can't coordinate that yeah that's true <laughs> there's, there's nothing anybody can do about it i don't know why i'm complaining about it it's so nice to have uh people listening to the show who want to contribute and a community who is excited about being part of the show that's really super meaningful for us so thank you to guy and to hill and to cake for contributing um it was uh really really nice to have all that yeah. stuff to play this week and um yeah if you've got thoughts on uh anything that we covered on this week's show anything we didn't cover uh or memes. You know, you've got a specific talk about memes we, we need more meme memes, content guys memes are good uh record preferably around a minute of audio send it to contact at ospulsnackpod.com and uh yeah we'll very likely play it on the show uh otherwise take it easy in the meantime we'll catch you next week and uh, until then, keep on snacking in the free world. Uh, fuck nearly two hour long podcasts, Crunch Crunch. That was so long. <laughs>